Welcome back to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. I'm Kitty, and I'm going to be your single host today. I hope you all are staying healthy and safe and enjoying time with your family and just re-evaluating your lives and maybe even your spiritual practice. A lot of us have a lot of time right now to do so. So I say take advantage of it. So on to the topic. Today I wanted to give some tips for beginners in the craft, particularly when it comes to modern witchcraft. And when I say modern, I'm really speaking to an eclectic just modernized version of the craft. No real tradition or set dogma or rules. Yeah, so, which is what I practice, truly. So, usually the first thing that happens when people come to this path is that they get confused. The reason they get confused is that there's so much information out there. There's so much information online, in books, in movies. Even you're, they're hearing it from their friends or you know other people that they know that may practice. And it's just a lot of information all at once. And it's hard to sift through. You don't know where to start. You don't know what to study. You don't know if you should practice first or study first. So I'm going to try to break it down for you in the best way that I know how. The first thing I recommend is to start reading. And yes, you can start reading online. There's a lot of information online to go through, but that's where the confusion is going to come in. So I say, if you can, select a few books and start there. Because at least then the information is going to be uniform and maybe not so all over the place. So some books I recommend for beginners. A couple of these are are considered old school because they were written in the 1980s, maybe 1990s. And then a few of of the other ones are more, are newer, more recent. But I feel like they kind of jive together and you're not gonna be too confused reading these specific books Uh, together to get your path started. I highly, highly recommend anything by Scott Cunningham. He was one of the first authors that I read. And he really had a way of putting things simply, easy to understand, and practically as well. He gave you actual things to do around the house. He gave you actual practices that you could do to learn and connect with the elements, which is really helpful for a beginner. Yes, he was Wiccan in religion. So a little bit of that will come through in the books, but most of it is mainly a natural version of the craft. which I think you'll find very helpful. So 
start with Scott Cunningham. I recommend his books on earth magic, earth, air, fire, water, and also if you pick up the Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, or if you're more interested in crystals, he also has a guide to magical crystals. So look into those specific books. You might be able to get them from the library. You might be able to borrow them or get them as an ebook. I'm not positive. Start there. He has a very natural way, like I said, of leading you into this path via the elements, earth, air, fire, water. And if you have a good understanding of the four elements, you'll feel more grounded and you'll feel like you might not be as confused when you get into the other aspects of the craft. So in addition to Scott Cunningham's books, which have been a staple of mine for many, many years, I also recommend a newer book called The Green Witch by Erin Murphy Hiscock. She is purely, I would say, a natural modern witchcraft type author. She doesn't bring in any kind of religious flavor. There's no Wiccan rules. There's no traditions. It's just purely green magic, which is wonderful. And in addition, in her book, she she breaks down, you know, the basics, and then she gives you some things to practice to, to kind of get your, your feet wet or yeah, your feet wet, excuse me, I almost said your hands wet, your feet wet. And again, to connect with the elements, to connect with the earth, all of the, these things should be, you should look at them as your basis or your foundation to get started. So look into those books. In addition, you should be keeping a notebook of your studies Some people call this a book of shadows. Some people call it a grimoire or grimoire, depending depending on who you're talking to. I'm just calling it a notebook. You can call it whatever you want. But it should be specifically to take notes of your studies and to also write down your experiences, your thoughts, maybe any dreams that you might have. It can just be a collection of your spiritual path, your magical path going forward. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can literally be a composition book from the dollar store. Don't go out and and you don't have to get crazy with it because you're going to do a lot of writing, rewriting, you know, maybe scratching things out, erasing things, what, what have you. So it doesn't need to be fancy at first. So get yourself those books get yourself a notebook, start reading, start practicing the things in these books, the the meditations and the spells and the practices and, and the different little things that these authors recommend. I promise you it will give you a good foundation. It will give you a good basis to go off of and you won't be so confused. Because if you're online, some people can sift through it and be able to organize their thoughts and organize their studies But I've known a lot of people that go online and they get confused because you're going to have all these different people telling you to start somewhere different, right? Someone might say, oh, you should start with an altar. Someone else might say, no, 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 you should start doing spells right away. Someone else might say, no, you should read only. I mean, you're going to hear all kinds of different recommendations, 
which is fine because it's everyone's individual path, right? And so everyone's going to have their own way of doing things, their own way of learning. But if you want my opinion, that's how you can get started. Once you have gone through those books and you're connecting with the elements and you're connecting with Mother Earth and you understand the basis of this spiritual path, Then you can move on to other topics, some other topics that a lot of new witches find intriguing are crystal magic, crystal healing, who isn't, you know, drawn by sparkly crystals. I know I was at the very beginning, but there are other topics that are interesting as well that you should explore. And the wonderful thing about modern witchcraft is that there's so many things to learn There's so many different little avenues and branches and, you know, forms of magic and traditions and, you know, ancient history and origins of this and that and holidays. And there's so much to learn that you're literally, you're going to probably study and practice your whole life and you'll never run out of, of new things to learn. And if you do, then I would say you're probably doing something wrong. That's one of the things that I love about this path is that you're always learning. You're always growing. You're always adding some new skill or knowledge to to your mind, to your mental library, okay? So in addition to crystals, a lot of people will get into herbs, working with herbs uh, and their magic, working with herbs medicinally, working with herbs, even just adding them to their food and things. Because once you get into herbs, you'll find that they are very versatile. What what herbs you add to your food may also be medicinal in nature, and they can also have a magical effect or intention as well. I highly recommend learning herbs once you, once you learn the elements and have your good foundation going. In addition to herbs and crystals, there's divination. Divination is just as broad of a topic as witchcraft itself. There, You can literally Google divination or types of divination, and you'll find, I think there's a list on Wikipedia that literally lists like 50 different kinds of divination. Now, there are some more popular ones that I recommend for new witches And some of those might be oracle cards. Oracle cards are different than tarot. Tarot is a specific symbolic system of divination. And there's usually, I think there's 73 cards in a tarot deck. Whereas oracle cards may be less. There may be less cards in a deck. And they're pretty much whatever the artist or the writer creates, okay? And then they assign their own symbol symbolism and meaning to each card for you. Usually there's a book that comes along with it. You can start there. Now that I've been reading Oracle for a while, I prefer to use what comes to mind. I use my intuition when I use Oracle cards. I don't typically look up the meaning in the book any longer. But you'll get there. You'll you'll get to that point. Um, and if you want to practice doing that, that's good too. You'll find that a lot of divination has to do with symbolism, but it's also very big in intuition. So I say the three pillars of divination, and we're going to get into this in a future podcast, are observation, 
symbolism, and intuition. So just keep that in mind if you move into the realm of divination. In addition to oracle cards starting out, I also recommend the witch's runes. You'll hear all about the runes online. There's two different main forms that you'll hear most most commonly used. The Elder Futhark, which is a Norse or Germanic system of divination that uses symbols. Kind of like an alphabet, or it was an alphabet, basically. It still is, but it, it's there's spiritual or magical and mundane meanings assigned to each rune or letter, basically. But the witch's runes are actually a smaller set of runes. There's 13 in most sets. And the symbols are a little easier to understand. With the Elder Futhark, the symbols are very, they're ancient. And you might not pick up on what they mean just by looking at them. It takes a lot of study and practice. With the witch's runes, you may look at them and know or already understand or have a meaning to them on your own. For example, there's an eye as a symbol. You may assign that to mean, you know, psychic ability, seeing into the dark, dreams, intuition, clairvoyance, something of that nature. And another one is, let me think, there's an arrow, I think, in the witch's runes, and I'm drawing a blank here. I do have a set, but for some reason I'm drawing a blank. There are, oh, birds. There are, there's a symbol for the harvest. So some of these symbols are going to be really easy for you to already assign a meaning to in in your mind, which is great. And so I highly recommend getting a set of witches runes or even making a set yourself. They're really easy to make. You can make a set for really cheap, literally drawing the symbols onto a set of 13 stones or seashells. It's really easy, really cheap and that's a really great place to start with divination is the witch's runes. So as you can see, there's a lot to learn in the craft. And I say, as long as you keep learning, you know, you keep studying, you practice as well, you're just going to feel more and more confident. And it's going to open up a whole new world of spirituality to you. Some of your, some of these like abilities that some witches talk about having, I think everyone is born with, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, I may be better at something than you are, but everyone has a specific skill or ability. It's just that a lot of us don't know what that is because we haven't tapped into it or we've forgotten it over time. So a lot of the time when you start practicing and studying these things, your abilities will start to come out naturally and you'll go, you you know, you'll have an epiphany moment and you'll go, oh my gosh, my ability is, you know, cognizant dreaming. I have prophetic dreams or maybe you'll find that your ability is divination and that you can read other people's lives for them. Or past lives or maybe you have an ability of healing you can help heal animals you know the, these are all different abilities that I believe everyone has it's just again sometimes we've forgotten them since we were a child we were told not to believe in, in magic or abilities or witchcraft and you know it was shunned and so we've forgotten these things but everyone has some sort of ability I truly believe that it's just a spiritual gift
And if you ask a lot of a lot of religious folks, they believe in spiritual gifts too. So, yeah, it's a worldwide thing. Everyone has one. And like I said, they'll start to pop out the more and more you just practice and get in touch with the earth, with the elements, with yourself, with your own spirit. Yeah. Another thing I recommend is don't ignore or put your mundane life or your physical body on a back burner just because you're diving into the spiritual aspect. So let's talk about altars and tools because that's another big topic, another big interest for new witches. I always say you don't necessarily need an altar or even tools to start. Getting in touch with the natural world is wonderful because it doesn't require many tools. And a lot of the tools or items that you need, you can probably find in your own backyard or garden. Or by simply going on a nature walk. And... Basically, the earth can become your altar. If you practice outside, if you study outside, you don't necessarily need an elaborate altar inside. However, if you want an altar inside, it is a wonderful place to sort of honor your spirituality, to go to be able to center and focus on your spiritual growth and magical practice. And a lot of people enjoy having an altar. I have a few, to be honest. But it's taken me many years even to just build a few. Especially if you're someone who is not allowed or able to practice in your own home. Be it that you're too young and your parents don't want you to. They think, you know, that you should practice their religion or, you know, you're living under their roof and you're not allowed which is fine. You have to follow your parents' rules. Or if it's just that you live, you live somewhere where you'll be judged or someone else in your family is judging you or is making you feel weird about it, what have you. In that case, you can literally keep an altar in a basket or a shoebox under your bed, in your closet. Take it out when you have the time, when you're alone, and that's when you can use your altar and center and focus and practice in that way. A lot of people even have little portable altars. I've seen altars made in little Altoid tins before, which is really cool. I think that's a really cool idea. Now, are they very teeny tiny tools that you'll be using? Yes, but that doesn't make them any less powerful or important to you. So if you want to start an altar and you have the space and you're able to, and it can be out in the open, I recommend a tabletop surface, like the top of a nightstand, the top of a credenza, a bookshelf or a shelf on the wall. All of these are wonderful options, even like, let's say, a separate countertop in your kitchen or a shelf in your kitchen if you're into cooking and and into the family type witchery. These are all wonderful options. Just keep in mind that if you're going to be also honoring a certain god or goddess or spirit, 
or ancestors that the table should be, the altar should be designated specifically to that purpose. So what I mean is if you have an altar in your living room that's on an end table, you don't want people, you don't want it to be a piece of furniture where people are just going to constantly set their things on it, you know, their drinks, their keys, their phones, what have you. You want it to be specifically for your spiritual practice. So just keep that in mind. So what are you supposed to put on your altar? Basically anything that you want. Anything any anything that is going to help you in your magical practice, that's what you should put on your altar. Anything that honors your beliefs or your growth in the craft, that's what should go on your altar. So, for example, I usually recommend that you find items to represent the elements and the earth and start there. Usually you can find these things outside or you might already have these things that you've collected over the years. Seashells are representation of water. Feathers or incense, representation of air. Candles, even just one candle can be your representation of the element of fire. You can also use colors to represent the elements. You know, green and brown for earth, blue for water, yellow for air, red for fire, etc. You know, use your imagination and go with what feels right, what feels natural. You guys are going to hear me driving because literally we're in the midst of this whole virus thing and... When I'm at home, it's me and my entire family. So I have no peace and quiet. So you guys might just have to deal with hearing my turn signal and whatnot right now. Um, I am being careful, don't worry. But just to let you all know, I'm doing this impromptu little podcast because I've been dying to do one and I just haven't had the peace and quiet in order to do it. So Your tools that you put on your altar can be things that you plan on using in your practice. They can be candles, crystals, stones. If you've collected stones over the years, you know, those are great things to put on an altar to start working with their energy, to bring in that earth energy into your space, onto your altar. In addition, some people get into a more religious or spiritual aspect of the craft where they bring in or work with specific gods and goddesses from different ancient cultures or or recent cultures. It could be anything. And they may include a statue or a picture or some kind of representation, a figurine, a piece of artwork that represents that god or goddess. Some people work with saints. Some people work with spirits of many different kinds, fairies, nature spirits. Some people even work with Mother Mary or Jesus even. It's not out of the realm of possibility because your path is your own. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise or, or how, how to do it, what to do. If you feel that's right, then that's for you. And do it. Use it. Use those things on your altar. Also keep in mind when you're setting up an altar, you want to cleanse, spiritually cleanse 
your altar itself, the tabletop or whatever you're using. You can do this by smudging. I recommend looking that up online because it is a specific process of using smoke. You could also use holy water or blessed water and basically wipe it down. And in addition, you want to you want to bless or or you know, cleanse and bless each item that goes on your altar. Cleanse it like we've talked about, but blessing it means, you know, just holding it in your hands and and you know, charging it with your intentions, meaning holding it in your hands, visualizing or saying out loud what this tool means to you and what you plan on doing with it. And if it represents or is to honor a specific spirit, ancestor, god, or goddess, then place it on there. What else are you supposed to be doing at your altar if you have one? You can use it as a place to meditate. You can use it as a place to, like I said, honor different gods or goddesses, your ancestors. It's a place where you can set offerings for them, where you can burn incense for them, where you can light candles and say prayers. Prayers are universal. They know no religion. You can literally pray to the universe or to your higher self if you wanted to. And don't limit yourself, you know. Some people will ask, what can I do on a daily basis to help grow my craft and grow my learning and be able to use magic every single day? It seems like a hard thing to do because you read about all these rituals and spells and things online that are very elaborate and drawn out and you have to cast a circle and you have to call the quarters and the truth is that you don't have to do any of those things on a daily basis if you don't want to and especially if you don't have the time or the energy to dedicate to it. Magic is literally in everything we do and if you start to be mindful of that You'll see just how magical life really is and, and that we're already practicing it on a daily basis, particularly if we're mindful of it. What do I mean by this? Cooking. If you have to cook every day for your family or for yourself even. That's an act of magic. You're taking ingredients, you're putting them all together, and boom, creating something else. It's a form of alchemy, if you ask me. And I've said that many times to people particularly people who are really good at cooking, really good at baking. It is, a, it is an art form and it, it truly is a form of magic. So if that's a simple mundane task that you have to do every single day, why not weave some magic into it? It could be as simple as when you're cooking dinner, just looking up the magical properties to the ingredients that you're using. You have a phone, Google it. It's not hard, I promise. I do it all the time. Not every single day, but I've done it. And it's a pretty quick little magical thing that you can do where you're learning and you're also applying it to a mundane task. Sorry for the motorcycle. What about when you're going to bed at night? That's usually your quiet time, right? So just before you go to sleep, try to do a simple meditation. If you can listen with some earbuds to a guided meditation on YouTube. If you can just listen to some natural sounds as a form of meditation. There's plenty of free nature sounds on YouTube. 
There's free nature sounds on Spotify, or paid, rather, if you pay for the service. Either way. Think about the place that you feel the most powerful, that you feel the most connected, and use that in your meditations at night. That's a simple way to add a little bit of magic and learning to your everyday life. While you're showering, if you can take a bath, those can become rituals in and of themselves. Again, everyone's got to take a shower. Why not make it magical? While you're in there, visualizing your shower, turn it into your to a waterfall in your mind. Turn it into the ocean when you're taking a bath. Visualize as the ocean or a river cleansing you, healing you. See, it's just about being mindful, honestly. Now, are there going to be times that you'll want to do elaborate rituals and call on the quarters and cast a circle? Sure. But like I said, you don't have to. Not if you don't want to. And don't feel guilty if you plan to do some elaborate moon ritual and it just doesn't happen because your family needs you or you don't feel well or you're just plain exhausted from the day. Those are all fine too. It's all good. (laughs) You have your entire life to learn this. So don't feel like you have to cram it all in in a week or a month or even a year or even a decade. Take your time and enjoy the process. And there's really no wrong way of doing it, okay? You're going to have a lot of people telling you there's rules and, you know, you have to have... You have to use all organic materials or you have to always cast a circle or you have to, you know, you can't use substitutions in your spells. Well, that's all BS. Because let me tell you, I've done magic without a circle. I've done magic with using substitutions and I've never had any problems. Often my magic is very powerful and does manifest. Now there's sometimes when you'll cast a spell or you'll put some magic out there and it might not manifest. And that's okay too. You can go back and review it. Think about what you could do differently or maybe what lesson you're supposed to learn from from this mishap or from this, you know, lack of results, right? It's all a learning process. It's all trial and error. It's practice, just like anything else in life. And when you get time to really dedicate yourself to a ritual or to your studies or what have you, then put in the time. You do have to have some level of dedication to some degree in order to perfect your craft, we'll say. So to review, when you're starting out on the path of modern witchcraft... First, focus on the four elements. Focus on getting in touch with the earth, with the seasons. Study the moon phases and how they affect our lives. That's a big one. That really is a big one. In addition to the four elements and connecting with the earth and the seasons, after that, start looking into the moon phases. Waxing, full, waning, new, even the dark moon, all of those moon phases have a special significance to our lives as human beings, to the earth, to the animals, as well as to your magic. And you can harness the moon's energy to create positive change in your life. Truly, I've seen it happen many times. 
In addition to the moon phase, take a peek at your zodiac sign. Do you see any correlation with maybe the element that's assigned to that zodiac sign and what's going on in your life? Have you always been drawn to fire? Are you a super passionate person? Maybe you're quick to anger. You know, everything is connected and you'll start to learn that the more you grow and the, the more, the longer you walk this path. So don't put any pressure on yourself. Take your time. Ask questions and read as much as you can and practice as much as you can. You know, like, again, weave it into your daily, your daily tasks. Just be mindful. Be present. And along the way, you'll get to learn a lot about yourself, too. And you'll make some positive changes in your life. It's not just a spiritual practice. It's not just a religion. Some people say it's a practice only. Some people say it's a religion. Some people say it's neither. I say it's all of those things if you want it to be. And it's a way of life. You'll see what I mean the longer you walk this path. Blessings.